Welcome to episode two of the Future is Inclusive technology podcast, The Future is a Circular Economy, brought to you by Cisco. Sarah looks out her office window through the hanging greenery of the living building. Like most buildings in the city these days, it has a net zero carbon footprint. It's powered by solar panels on the roof and it trades excess energy with the neighbouring building. At her desk, Sarah's lunch is wrapped in a material made of beeswax. This is common ever since plastic was banned. While Sarah is a fictional character, this story isn't decades off into the future. It's closer than you think. I'm your host, Heidi Cuthbert, and you're listening to The Future is Inclusive. Joining me today is one of Australia's preeminent leaders about the circular economy, Dr. Lucas Carmody from PricewaterhouseCoopers, and from Cisco, Katie Schindel, Director of the Circular Economy. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having me. Lucas, if I can start with you, can you define what a circular economy simply means and tell us why the traditional linear model is not a responsible way for us to keep managing our finite resources? I find it easier to explain what a circular economy is if I start by explaining what our current economic model looks like, a linear economy model, uh, which essentially involves extracting natural resources to make products that are then used for an increasingly limited amount of times and sometimes almost once before being discarded as waste. And this is being viewed as increasingly unsustainable for a number of uh, fairly significant and obvious reasons. We're consuming far more than the planet can produce, then logic dictates that we'll eventually run out of those resources. So instead of this current take, make, use, waste economy, there's a push towards an economy that is restorative, regenerative by intention and design, and powered by renewable inputs. And this is essentially what we mean when we refer to the circular economy. Lucas, you come to us more from an economic perspective and Katie, from an environmental sustainability perspective. What's your take on the the take-make-waste model? And I'm always thinking about how do we position this? How do we talk to our internal stakeholders, our external stakeholders from a business setting about why this matters, why they should pay attention? Um, And so in addition to the elements that Lucas raised, I would talk about the ability to spark and drive innovation. By putting a constraint on the system, it actually forces people in sometimes a really good way, a really positive way to think differently about how are we putting out different products in the world? How are we getting access to what we need from a end outcomes perspective. So there's a, a lot of opportunity there. Um, and that, what's, that's what drives a lot of the economic models as well. What, what can we drive? Not only what are the constraints um, or what are the negatives of not addressing this? Uh, another thing that I think about a lot is about resiliency and around long-term sustainability of a business, right? So if you have resources that you're running out of or you have disruptions that are happening, those disruptions are happening for any number of reasons, including resource disruption, including climate change. The more that we can do to get ahead of that, the more that we can help to sustain that business long into the future. And so that's also a really important frame to think about availability of raw material supplies, to think about um, how companies can run global supply chains. And the circular model can open up a lot of different opportunities for how to do that, as well as helping us to mitigate for the risks, very real risks that are becoming increasingly apparent to a lot of people. So as you said, Katie, constraints is is a word that I pick up from you there. And Lucas, you spent a lot of time in Europe in the landlocked countries. Certainly, they've embraced this idea of circular economy. Why is that? Yes, it's it's for a number of reasons. And there are a number of geopolitical and geographical elements at play that have been driving Europe's lead in the circular economy. 
And I think the most self-evident example comes from the Netherlands, geographically. It's densely populated, and at the same time, it's significantly reliant on its agricultural exports. In fact, it's the second biggest agricultural exporter, second only to the US. So when you have a country that's landlocked, and every square metre of land is significant in value to its economy, you'll find better things to do with land than bury waste. What about closer to home in, in the Asia Pacific and, and Australia more specifically? We haven't felt the need to embrace more circular models, at least uh, until up until 2018, where China put an export ban on our waste. Australia and a num number of other countries across the world, particularly wealthy countries, were exporting their waste into Asia, which essentially led to some fairly awful consequences for the environment because of the waste and recycling infrastructure in those places wasn't equipped to deal with the loads of waste that they were getting from elsewhere, which meant that we were finding and still find increasing amounts of ocean litter. Um, and so for Australia, the burning platform for change really came about in 2018 when our waste became our problem. And overnight we had 1.25 million tonnes of recyclable waste that we had to find a home for. And so we had a few different choices to make. The first one was increasing the quality of recycling so that then we could continue exporting it into Asia. The second one is invest in our own recycling infrastructure so that we could figure out something to do with that waste and then introduce it into our own market or reduce the need for recycling altogether. And where we've been focusing in, in Australia has been around that second one, which is in investing in our own recycling infrastructure. But where we want to go if we're moving towards a more circular economy is reducing the need for recycling altogether and designing out the waste problem. And what role is there for business to play, Katie? You know, what does this mean for multinational organisations? And even if I can get you to narrow in on, from a Cisco perspective, what does this mean? Yeah, I definitely think that there are multiple layers in which we play and which we have to contribute. Um, and that's actually what underlies our strategy, which is, deliberately holistic for how we think about circular economy. We look at the design of our products and packaging, which goes toward you know that first part about how do you design in the first place so that you use fewer resources in the manufacture of the product. Um, and that goes even toward how the manufacturing is done, where it has to move to facilitate it, et cetera. Um, and then also to how we do the manufacturing and the, and the movement, the logistics, um, through to how do we manage for the full life cycle of that equipment, we also extend this to our own operations. So we're talking about the operations of our value chain, but also the operations that Cisco runs for ourselves. How do we reduce our consumption? How do we think differently about resource consumption around waste and pollution? And then also how can we apply our technology to help in this endeavor? Because when you think about a circular economy, it requires information. It requires being able to track assets. It requires being able to use sensors to be able to know when um, there's occupancy in a building or you know, when you could potentially optimize a public transit system or where you could optimize a factory setting um, to optimize. Or to the example that Lucas was bringing up about recycling infrastructure, very difficult to sort uh, a lot of different types of materials. That's technology. How can you maybe optimize there? So there's a lot of opportunities. I, fortunate to work in a in a technology company where we both have the responsibility and the opportunity for ourselves but also can help enable others in in those types of activities um, where information and infrastructure is required uh, to play a role so 
we we think about it and, and I think have a responsibility at multiple levels um, and really do try to think about it about how do you reduce first from the beginning, but then how do you also help to keep those assets in motion? How do you While change can be challenging for businesses, in this case, change comes with a big reward. In your report, Building a More Circular Australia, Lucas, you predict that Australia could generate 1.9 trillion in benefits from going circular, arguably a huge added bonus to conserving the planet. So Lucas, where does this $1.9 trillion come from? Yeah, we really tried to capture the size of the prize through the modelling here. The thing that we tried to look at was a number of tangible and practical interventions that we could make in the Australian economy to realise those benefits. And these are the actions that households, industry and government could make. So whether it be rethinking the way we build or making better the use of the environment that we already have, changing the way we embrace electric vehicles or building better connected public transport systems, adopting new energy consumption habits at the household level, or even turning to green steel as an export opportunity for big construction projects as well as globally. The case for change from an economic perspective is fairly clear. Not only does it sustain the planet, but it also it generates a fairly significant economic opportunity as well. Katie, from your perspective, how do you see this disruption playing out? And in fact, is that an opportunity for businesses? Yeah, I think there is. I also think it is very disruptive uh, in the sense that it really does require a fundamental shift in how businesses operate in a lot of different ways and in ways that I think require a broader systems level change. So even if an individual company wants to shift to a circular model, they really rely on the broader ecosystem to shift with them. Um, and that can be really challenging. And it requires that at multiple levels. It requires that at the product level, at the component level, at the material level. And you need that reverse supply chain network to be built up at the same level that you have a forward supply chain network. And that doesn't exist today. It really has to be an active participation of all the ecosystem players to be able to build up that demand and build up that infrastructure that's required to make it happen. So it is very disruptive, even though it is an amazing opportunity. And I think if we're successful, we'll be really, really impactful, but it's not straightforward. And over to you, Lucas, for us to achieve this, first of all, do companies need to move away from this concept of the bottom line and really embrace the whole triple bottom line view of the balance sheet? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's taking a more holistic view than the fairly narrow view that we currently have. And I think that the consequences of that narrow view we're going to feel and so therefore preempting the consequences of that, of that, the impact that we're, we're having, um, whether it be through the pressures that regulation will put on companies to change the reporting requirements from their customers. It ultimately means having a better view of the impacts that we're having so that you can generate uh, a more resilient business, but a more sustainable model. And so you're talking use cases. Can I uh, refer to you, Katie? Can you tell us a little bit about uh, Cisco's Take Back program? Yeah, absolutely. So Cisco has run a Take Back program for a number of years. We have a number of different Take Back programs for different points along the way. So we run a program where the customer can go on our website, fill out a form, initiate a return um, of that material. We'll take it back. Um, we'll make sure that it's securely handled, that it's responsibly um, disposed of. And when I say disposed of, 99.8% um, of what we take back is reused or recycled. So basically what we're doing is through our reverse logistics, bringing back that product, looking at 
what it is, where we have demand in the business. That may be in our refresh business, which is certified pre-owned, remanufactured product. It may be for reuse internally. It may be to go to a service depot to, to be dealt with for repairs. We may do it at the component level, the whole product level. It could be in any number of places. Um, and then when it's recycled, if we don't have a use for it in its whole form, um, then it goes to electronics recyclers, which we um, do a lot of governance over to make sure that anything that goes there is being responsibly disposed of. And in all cases, you know, you're, you're getting it down to the, the metals or the plastics or things like that that can be reused in a, in a materials form. In some cases, we've been able to actually take that and pull it back into our own manufacturing. So that's kind of exciting um, in terms of trying to close that loop. But we do also just if a customer has something that they've tried out, we have a, a demo, what we call a demo loan program. They return that at the end. We have leasing where customers can return uh, equipment at end of lease. So it does happen at multiple levels. Well, companies that don't operate in this circular way, are they going to risk their license to operate? And, and another issue that I can see is um, funding from investors potentially being an issue. And, and customer expectations. So do businesses fundamentally need to change? Yeah, there's, there's a number of push and pull factors, but one of the big ones is the industrial and consumer markets um, where we're seeing companies that are being rewarded for that exhibit socially or environmentally responsible practices, which has largely been driven through ESG, which is environmental, social and corporate governance, which essentially are the metrics that uh, uh, tell consumers how a company is performing on those environmental and social and their expectations around values as well. And so the industrial and consumer markets are really rewarding the, the businesses that exhibit the factors that align with their values increasingly, but equally the flip side of that is that they're punishing the ones that don't and so they're missing that value capture opportunity as well. The workplace is where we all spend a lot of our time. In many cases, our colleagues become our friends and what we do becomes who we are as people. The workplace really is an important part of our lives. How would a, a move to a circular economy change the nature of work? So I think there's different angles on this question, which is interesting. So one might be around how people engage in the workplace. So the actual work that they're doing, the purpose behind that, I think we see a lot of excitement and interest in circular economy internally. And I know every time I hire, I have a lot of applicants. So there's definitely an interest in this topic and an enthusiasm for people to be able to contribute and really make it part of their job um, in, in a way that's actually also incredibly fundamentally important to our ability to succeed in what we're trying to do and embedding it in the business. So there's another side of it, which is that as we drive toward um, more sustainable models, more circular models, um, you have things like hybrid workplaces, you have things like collaboration technology that can facilitate people like us being together right now. We're able to facilitate that through the technology that facilitates collaboration, which also reduces carbon emission. And Lucas, from your perspective, does this create uh, opportunities for innovation? Yeah, absolutely. I think that when we're getting that sort of groundswell um, of activity and interest, particularly from talented people who have a, I guess, a will and a desire to change the way we currently do things, that creates innovation. And I think particularly as it relates to the circular economy, 
it requires us to leverage the technologies that Katie was mentioning earlier. And so when you couple the purpose of moving towards a circular economy with some of the benefits that we're seeing from emerging technologies, you will create innovation. And so the catalyst for innovation might be the circular economy and viewing things through those principles that we talked about a little bit earlier. And you'll start to see things like blockchain being integrated into products so that we can increase their traceability, their transparency or their efficiency of the materials and where they are ending up. It also gives us a sense through things like IoT, where you get um, producers more keen to understand how to increase performance. And part of that performance picture is the, the amount of value leakage or waste that we're seeing in an individual product and where the opportunities are to capture that value and potentially work with someone within their ecosystem, within their supply chain, for them to reuse or repurpose that product. And as Lucas says, technology is important in this space and Cisco being a, a technology company, Katie, are you starting to see people looking to join the company as a result of this you know, public advocacy for circular principles? And um, do you think that Cisco's view perhaps inspires passion in your people? I definitely see it in terms of you know, we're, we're constantly building community inside of Cisco so that we are helping people who didn't know that we had programs that we have to not only learn about them, but also to engage in them. Um, and I think that when they see the way that they can contribute through the job they're doing. So, for example, um, say they work in sales, say they work, in, say they're a solutions architect, they can put together um, something that could help uh, you know, a, a factory to drive greater water efficiency. But they just kind of light up. They get really excited about it. They get all these ideas that really help us move a lot further forward. And Lucas, over to you, organisations that are looking to embrace these circular principles. Does it require the managers to change their behaviours? Do they need to consider upskilling or, you know, making this knowledge more accessible to workers? Definitely, I think I'm seeing the opposite in that I think management are getting more pressure from some of the talent that's coming in, but also some of the more more junior talent as well within, within the company. And I don't think there's more pressure on um, managers from outside stakeholders as there is from within the company itself. And then that sort of filters into the culture that we're creating within PwC and the expectations of the company in the future in the sense that these people want to work somewhere where their values are reflected by the place where they're employed. And so it's certainly one for managers to articulate the impacts that we're having. I think that what they'll have in the absence of articulating it is a demand from the talent that's coming in for us to do better. Trash really is another man's treasure. A few years ago, I did a story about a scientist who was turning old car tyres into steel. And that same scientist has also managed to turn food and coffee packaging into aluminium and glass waste and ceramics into building materials. How can we reverse the current consumption patterns or, or do we need to be just implementing an entirely different approach? Yeah, I think particularly as it relates to the society is that this one requires behavioural change. Um, and to get that behavioural change Fundamentally, we need to be more mindful of the resources that we're consuming, using and then disposing. Um, it means looking for opportunities in the household, day to day, to reduce our energy 
our water and our biomass and extending the life of what we're using within the households and intentionally buying products that are made to last and then being proactive around how to recycle those materials if we need to get rid of them. I think to do that, consumers can't do it alone. And I think that that's quite obvious for a number of reasons in that it needs government and in industry to, I guess, create the enabling environment for communities to make that transition and for individuals to make that transition. And if I look at the industry side of things, that's where ESG will have a big impact, where increasingly um, businesses will be more transparent about the products that they're giving consumers and where it could be recycled, what kind of impacts it's having, and therefore consumers will then be in a better place to change those consumption habits because they're presented with better information about the impact that they're having by a result of participating in those products. Eddie, are there any success stories that you can speak to from a Cisco perspective, some of Cisco's clients perhaps? There's actually a really well-known company that turns recycled content into carpets. What we're helping is we're helping them to run a green factory through the connected factory solution that we have where we can help them basically optimize the operations and that makes them more successful as a business because they're able to run their plant more efficiently and to drive cost savings at that plant. So, you know, in that case, that solution drove millions of dollars in savings and a lot more efficiencies from the employee perspective as well, which also I'm sure drove environmental savings just in terms of the resource use um, at that facility. So Katie, it sounds like what you're saying is that there is a, a very important role for technology in creating this inclusive circular economy. Yes. I mean, we have a number of cases where we've helped to reduce emissions by putting in sensors to optimize port traffic or different things like that. It doesn't always show up in the same way. You can apply that technology toward any number of different outcomes, but we're seeing more and more interest in this type of outcome. And so that's a way that we can help to facilitate. I think the technology is really important. I think Katie makes a number of great points here. And I think that the interesting part about the impact technology have in, uh, I guess, creating a more inclusive circular economy is a two-sided coin in, in a way, in the sense that it's part of the solution. And Cisco clearly, and, and Katie, some of the things that you've mentioned, is taking a role and, and responsibility in that, in that area. And so for a design problem and for a technology company, it's something that the industry is famously good at solving for. And the circular economy principles provide a way of prioritizing renewable inputs in the design of technology products, replacing finite materials in the design of those products with renewable or recycled ones, or essentially designing a product so that someone else can then come in and disassemble it, reuse it, repair it, or upcycle it. And then also building the product to last for longer and maximizing the product use so that someone then could update it or it can be used for a longer, number, a longer and more durable time by consumers. And so the interesting part about technology is that uh, it poses both a threat, but then also is helping solve the problem. So how should we measure these contributions to a more sustainable society? So do businesses have a responsibility to contribute more, the bigger they are, or the more money they make? Yes, absolutely. I think that the, the bigger they are, the bigger their impact is likely to be. Um, and I think therefore there's an increasing companies to adjust the way of doing things so that those that this, those small adjustments in what is what could be a quite large company could have a fairly enormous impact and so that's it, again it, it goes to that sort of two-sided challenge in that 
the bigger the company, the bigger the opportunity within a circular um, economy. Because if a company is producing vast amounts of waste at the moment, it could be a simple design problem where they could design out that waste in the first place and therefore avoid some of the impacts that they're having today. And so with uh, any large business, it, it requires having a better view of the impact that they're having in the first place and mapping out those opportunities to change. So Katie, if companies want to attract the best talent, uh, are they going to have to go circular? I do honestly actually think that circular economy is a very important component of the broader message that a company can send around how it drives sustainability and responsibility across everything that it does. And the more that it's able to do that, I do think the more that people will connect with it. And I do think a lot of people are looking for that um, more and more and how they're choosing where they want to work. So how do we get there? And what's step one? Or has step one already been taken? And if so, what step are we actually up to? So clearly there's the potential to unlock new revenue streams. Do we need to focus on those positive commercial outcomes? Yeah, the reality is if it, it won't get too far if it doesn't make commercial sense for a lot of companies. I think that business certainly has a significant role to play here, but equally so to governments in setting the enabling environments for industry to make that change and be encouraged to transition towards more circular models. And we're already seeing that business are driving a lot of this change in the absence of or alongside governments. And I think that um, it's really out of a realisation that companies are losing value from their wasteful practices. It's also from an opportunity to create a more sustainable way of doing things and creating value for the longer term. Um, there's also businesses that are looking at their business longer term and, and the supply chain risks that exist around drought, climate change and resource scarcity. And, and therefore being forced to rethink their current way of doing things. And so they've got that kind of existential threat to their business and therefore rethinking their business model makes sense within the circular economy. And then the third part, we're seeing a growing number of businesses that are simply um, adopting circular practices out of self-elected purpose to become more sustainable. Um, that can be through how they develop products and services that are inherently designed to be circular in the first place. So lots of new startups in this space as well. And Katie, if I can go to you, for businesses that are thinking about transitioning to a circular model, where do you suggest that they start? What's next? I think the, the most important thing to get traction is to show how achieving the goals of the circular economy support and enable the core business goals of that organization or that function. Um, you know, whether that's alignment with a strategic direction that that business is trying to go, uh, whether that's about cost reduction targets that a function may have in the business, whether that's about revenue opportunities, how they show up to customers. We definitely see a lot of interest and engagement from our customers and partners, um, whether that's about future regulatory requirements something else, there's always some hook that will get people to see how this can actually be really helpful to them in something that is core to what they're trying to do in the business. Um, and I think that that helps to turn it from something that people may be excited about, excited that the company is doing, to something that they can actually prioritize. Because that is definitely always a challenge where there's all these different demands on the business. How can this help to support and drive that? And if I can cross to you, Lucas, uh, describe success. What does that look like? So at a societal level, it means that we've shifted our current economic model 
and our prevailing model of growth in the future is one that has moved away from essentially resource exploitation as a model for growth. Uh, it means that we're focusing on net positive society-wide benefits as a result of building economic, natural and social capital. And there's a big prize, right? $1.9 trillion. There is a massive prize. I think that's certainly a big enough carrot to dangle in front of most organisations and see the value in doing it. I think that, um, you know, really where it all starts is for the companies that don't see that as, a, as an opportunity, really it's having a look at their current operational footprint and, and, and you know, having a view of where that's going to take you as a business and, and looking down the pipeline of the regulations that are coming, the community expectations and the consumer awareness around the impact that you're having and then moving before your customers, your staff or your regulations move before you and therefore you get overtaken by it and you're playing catch up. And Katie, describe uh, the future you would like to see. I think it's about embedding the circular model in every part of the business and how we do business. And if we all do that, we achieve Lucas's vision uh, in a way. So if we are able to drive that, you know, resource conservation, reducing waste and pollution from the beginning, reusing our assets, driving renewable sources, uh, regenerative sources in the resources that we consume in every part of the business so that that is the core of how we operate. And then that also can facilitate others doing the same thing in theirs. I think the core there is not one company doing it, but really about that push driving the systems level change that we need to be able to build that broader societal ecosystem and infrastructure to facilitate a circular economy. I would like to say thank you to our guests for today's uh, podcast, uh, Dr. Lucas Carmody from PricewaterhouseCoopers and also Katie Schindel, Cisco's Director of the Circular Economy. Thank you both. Thank you, it was a great conversation. Thanks for having us. Let's get back to Sarah. Sarah chose to work at this company because it shared her deeply held belief for a better tomorrow. She's loyal, she's engaged, and she's committed to working with her team to make the world a better place. You've been listening to The Future is Inclusive. The future is a circular economy. To learn more about Cisco's circular economy, vision and technology, visit cisco.com.au slash bridge to possible.